Morning, Grace Hill. Today's scripture reading is Psalm 143. Hear my prayer, O Lord. Give ear to my pleas for mercy. In your faithfulness, answer me in your righteousness. Enter not into judgment with your servant, for no one living is righteous before you. For the enemy has pursued my soul. He has crushed my life to the ground. He has made me sit in darkness like those long dead. Therefore, my spirit faints within me. My heart within me is appalled. I remember the days of old. I meditate on all that you have done. I ponder the works of your hand. I stretch out my hands to you. My soul thirsts for you like a parched land. Selah. Answer me quickly, O Lord. My spirit fails. Hide not your face from me, lest I'll be like those who go down to the pit. Let me hear the morning of your steadfast love. Let me hear in the morning of your steadfast love, for in you I trust. Make me know the way I should go, for you, for to you I lift up my soul. Deliver me from my enemies, O Lord. I have fled to you for refuge. Teach me to do your will, for you are my God. Let your good spirit lead me on level ground. For your name's sake, O Lord, preserve my life. In your righteousness, bring my soul out of trouble. And in your steadfast love, you will cut off my enemies, and you will destroy all the adversaries of my soul, for I am your servant. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for bringing us together, Lord, in your congregation and praising you, worshiping you, Lord, as a church that is built on the blood of our Savior, Christ Jesus, Lord, and reminder of the victory in Christ Jesus, Lord, as we navigate through the season, Lord, as we sing those songs of praises to you, as we walk through the waters, you will be with us. As we walk through the waters, we will not sweep away. As we walk through the fire, we will not be scorched because you are with us, Lord. Thank you for this glorious work that you are doing even amongst those difficult seasons while we cannot see through the earthen eyes, Lord, Father. But help us to see that through the spiritual eyes, Lord. According to your goodness, you never waste any bad season, difficult and suffering season, Lord, but you use it for our good, for your sanctifying and redemptive work through that, Lord, whether that is the suffering season, Lord, whether that is suffering season of illness, Lord, whether that is depression, Lord, that is something that we've been praying for a long time, waiting for answers, Lord, Father. And thank you, Lord, for the reminder of the victory in Christ because of what he has done, Lord, and this greatest gift of our salvation, Lord, that brings new song in our mouth, even going through this suffering season of cancer with joy, Lord, Father, because who you are, Lord, that is our greatest gift and treasure, Lord, and help us and soften us our heart as we hear the message today, Lord, and help us to walk in the truth today and tomorrow, Lord. And we lift up our hand to you for, your pray, for the praises of who you are to us. We pray in the, name, in the mighty name of our Lord, 
Jesus Christ. Amen. Christine, thank you for opening us and reading the scripture and in prayer. Um, as she just read from Psalm 143, that's the scripture that we'll be in this morning. So if you have a Bible, you can leave it open there to Psalm 143. If you'd like to use your phone, that's great. And scriptures will obviously, too, be on the screen behind me. Um, you know, a few years ago, I got a text message from a friend uh, letting me know, it was in the morning, uh, just really sad news, that his, his father had unexpectedly passed away. And so I called him, and we talked on the phone, and you know, he was wrestling. It was a complicated situation for him because he didn't have a great relationship with his father, and his father was abusive growing up. And so there was just all these emotions coming at this guy from just devastation that he had died, and, and, but all, all this mixed, complex stuff. So we, we talked on the phone for a, a while, and, and, and then we got off the phone, and, and I was at my office and kind of went about my day, and several hours later, I, got a, I heard a knock on our office door, and I was uh, at the office all by myself that day, and so I went and I opened the door, and, and there he was. He was standing right there with tears streaming down his face, and he asked me this question. He goes, is my dad in hell? First thing he asked. And um, I just embraced him, and he wept and just brought him into the office, sat him down, and we just talked for a while and prayed and, and read scripture together. And I wish, I wish this story ended with a testimony of, and my friend was encouraged, and my friend was strengthened in his faith, and he was able to walk through this trial and this devastation Believing in God. That's not how the story ends. The story ends is that he actually walked away from the faith after that. He got to this point where he looked at God and he goes, I, I, don't, I, I don't know how to reconcile my, my upbringing. I don't know how to reconcile what just happened. I, I don't know if I can believe in this. And he just said, God, I'm, I'm done. And he, and he walked out. And I, I pray for this guy all the time, praying that the Lord would, would bring him back into the faith. And, and I do believe that, that one day the Lord will bring him back into the faith. But we, we all face situations in life, whether they're big or small, where we kind of get to this point where, where our spirit fails. And what I mean by that, when our spirit fails, what, what I mean is we, we get to this point where you go, God, I, I can't reconcile how this all works. God, my, my spirit fails me to understand why you would allow this to happen. God, my spirit fails me to be able to, to continue to see you as good even though I'm walking through this. And many times we run into situations like this. We go, God, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to say. I don't know what to pray. Literally, my spirit fails me. This is where my friend was. Uh, last week, we uh, started a three-week study of Psalm 143. 
And this is a psalm where David literally says in our text this morning, God, my spirit fails. I need help here. I don't know what to do. This is a psalm where, where David is expressing to God his indifference, his apathy, kind of this, he's at this place in his faith with God. He was like, I'm not sure if I still believe or not. I'm not, and doubt is flooding his heart. And what I love about psalms like these is, is psalms like these give us permission to feel things like that too. Psalms like these let us, because David is our example, go to God and say, God, I'm struggling. And what psalms like these do is they encourage us as we express what we feel to God. They encourage us back with the truth about who we are and who God is and and how we relate with God and how we navigate hard circumstances through life. So last week, we studied the first six verses of Psalm 143. And as we studied those, we learned three truths about our relationship with God. So as we're expressing our what our where our spirit's at to God, God's encouraging us back with truth. And so we had these three truths about our relationship with God. The the first one was this that God hears us, He listens to us, not on the basis of our righteousness, but on the basis of His. Meaning that God doesn't listen to us or hear us or bless us or relate with us based off of how good our week was beforehand. No, he does that based off of his own righteousness. The the reality that Jesus on the cross took our sin away and gave us his righteousness, meaning that God relates with us in a steadfast, steady, unwavering way because he is faithful. It's not based on our faithfulness. That was the first truth we learned. The second truth we learned is that hard things do not mean that God has abandoned us. In fact, many times hard things that we walk through in life mean that God is doing something beautiful inside of us. And the third truth that we learned is that the longer you walk with Jesus, the harder you're gonna thirst after him because the more you're going to want. Those were the three truths we were encouraged with Last week. And this morning, we're going to continue in Psalm 143, but we're going to go to verses 7 and 8, just these two verses, 7 and 8. And we're going to ask a question, ask the question, okay, great. It's good to be encouraged with truth. What do I do? It's good to be able to go to God and say, God, here's where I'm at. And to be encouraged with truth. But now my question is this, what do I do? What does David do in circumstances like this? So let's read Psalm 143, just verse 7 and 8. David says, Answer me quickly, O Lord, my spirit fails. Hide not your face from me, lest I be like those who go down to the pit. Let me hear in the morning of your steadfast love, for in you I trust. Make me know the way I should go, for to you I lift up my soul. 
It's interesting here in verse 7. David says to God, he's saying, God, my, my spirit fails. Answer me. And he goes, hide not your face from me. So this idea of God shining his face upon his people is a biblical concept for God's favor, his blessing, his pleasure and delight in his people, right? So the high priestly blessing in, in, in number six, right, is God, shine your face upon us. It means that God has accepted us and he's pleased with us. And David is saying, hide not your face from me, God. And what I find interesting about this is because David has already said in this psalm, He's already declared the truth that, God, you hear me, you relate with me, not on my own righteousness, but on yours. We just talked about it. It's not about my faithfulness. It's about your faithfulness. And so David knows theologically, he knows in his head that God won't hide his face from him because of his steadfast love. But in his chest, there's something in him that feels like, God, it feels like you're hiding your face from me. It's just evidence, right, that sometimes what we believe up here doesn't always translate to what we believe here, right? And so I want to look at this and go, what does David do in these circumstances? Before we do that, I want to I explore what kind of circumstances we might encounter in life where our spirit might fail. And we, and we might get to this place like David, we go, God, I don't know what to do with this. What kind of circumstances might we hit in life where, where that could occur? And so what I did is I just thought through, well, what circumstances has David gone through, recorded for us in Scripture? Because we're not 100% sure the, the exact circumstance that David wrote Psalm 143 in response to or if he wrote it in response to any circumstance. We have specific psalms where we know David wrote this psalm in response to this particular text in Scripture. And so we're not exactly sure what David's responding to here. So I just thought, what are some things that David went through? What are some examples of when David's spirit failed? And he's like, God, I don't know what to do here. All right, so I have three of them, three of them. Three circumstances we might encounter where our spirit might fail. So here's number one. Number one is this, we, our spirit might fail when we become angry with God or hurt by something he allowed to happen. We might encounter a circumstance like this when, when we become angry with God or hurt by something he allowed to happen. See, when we're angry with God, it's not this, God, I'm questioning your existence, it's not doubt. There's still a belief in God's presence. It's still a belief in God's power. There's still a belief in God. I know you have the power and the ability and the authority to change this or to do something right now. And so I'm angry because I can't think of a reason. My spirit fails me because I can't think of a reason why you would allow this to happen or that to happen or you won't intervene in this situation or that situation. My spirit fails me, God. I can't understand it. I was thinking of an example, David. You know, before David became king, before Saul, Saul was the king before David, before Saul became king, 
the Philistines, this neighboring nation of Israel, stole the Ark of the Covenant. So the Ark of the Covenant in the Old Testament was this wooden box, and it contained the law in it, and it literally was the manifestation of God's presence during the Old Testament. It was in this box. The Philistines stole it from Israel, and God punished the Philistines for that. And so the Philistines are like, ooh, we got to give that back. So they give the Ark of the Covenant back to Israel. But Israel, during that time, didn't put it where it's supposed to go, in the temple or the tabernacle. In Jerusalem, they actually stored it in this other town, Kiriath-Jerim. And then Saul becomes king, and Saul doesn't do anything about it. He doesn't care. Saul was not a godly king. But then David becomes king, and David is a godly king. And so he goes, guys, we got to go get the Ark of the Covenant out of this town, Kiriath-Jerim, and we got to bring it to Jerusalem where it belongs. And so David gets his guys together. They go, they get the Ark, and they start to transport it towards Jerusalem where it ought to go because David wanted to honor God. Now, in the Old Testament, though, God gives very specific instructions on how you are to move that box because it contains the presence of God in it. David didn't follow those instructions. And so him and his men, they, they, they get the ark, they put it on a cart. You're not supposed to carry that thing on a cart. And they start to transport it towards Jerusalem. It's pulled by a couple of oxen. And they're moving along, and, and the text literally says that David and his people were dancing in front of the ark as they moved it towards Jerusalem, praising God that they are finally returning the ark of the covenant to Jerusalem. But then as they're going, one of the oxen stumble, and the cart starts to tip, and the ark is going to hit the ground. And so one of David's men, a guy named Uzzah, puts his hands on the ark to stabilize it so it won't hit the ground, and God kills him on the spot. And you might be thinking, if you've never heard that story, why? I mean, wasn't it a reverent act to, to make sure it didn't hit the ground? The text says in 1 Chronicles 13, it says in verse 11, David was angry because the Lord broken out against Uzzah. Verse 12, and David was afraid of God that day. And he said, how can I bring the ark of God home to me? I mean, David was trying to honor God, please God, worship God, do his duty as the king of Israel. And God just shows up and he kills Uzzah right there on the spot. Now, I'm not going to go further in that story. And if you're like, wow, that story is really problematic for me. Um, I actually preached on it. It was about two years ago in June. So it was King Jesus. Uh, it was the series. And the sermon title was Holy Love. So if you want to go to our website and listen to that sermon and kind of get some context and understand how we should think about that story, uh, I, I encourage you to do that. But this was a moment for David when he looked at God and he goes, I don't understand my spirit fails me to get why this happened, God. Have you ever been in a spot like that? Where you just see something happen and you go, God, help me. My spirit fails. 
The first circumstance is when we become angry with God or hurt by something he allowed. The second circumstance that we, our spirit might fail is it's just when we doubt God, when we're struggling with our faith, and he's silent. This being in a season where it just you have all these questions and you're wondering if God's even showing up in your life and you pray and you ask God to reveal himself and there's nothing. And you're not getting joy out of your faith anymore. You're not getting joy out of being a part of the church or, or the Bible's dry and you're just in this season and silence. David wrote this, Psalm 13, verse 1. He, he writes, How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? Hold on. David knows that God won't hide his face from him. He knows that. He can preach the sermon on it. He can write the books on it. He can write psalms about it. But he's saying, God, you've hidden your face from me. That's how I feel. That's what's going on inside my heart. This is where my friend was. My friend wasn't angry at God. He just sought God out, and to him, God was silent. So he said, I guess you're not there, and he walked away. This is different. Doubt is, is different than anger. And listen, as followers of Jesus, we will face seasons like this, seasons of doubt. Where we go, my spirit fails, God. I, I don't know what to do. I don't know how to kind of get my faith going again. David experienced it. So we've got anger at God. We've got doubt. So third circumstance where our spirit might fail is when we've really sinned in a big way. When we've really messed up. You know, when we, when we sin against God, especially in ways where we can just feel the guilt and we can feel the shame and we, there are repercussions to that and there, there are consequences to that kind of sin. It's, it can be devastating. Whether it's, it's big or it's small. If we're feeling this guilt from our sin, it can kind of put us in a spot where we just feel like, God, I, I, don't, I know I don't deserve to be in a relationship with you. And it can put us in a spot where we go, I, I'm not even gonna show up to church or I'm not even gonna try to practice my faith because I've messed up so badly or, or I keep on messing up so badly and I don't know how to stop it. David sinned in a big way. You can read the story of 2 Samuel 11. David was in Jerusalem. He had sent his men away to go fight a battle. He was back all by himself in his house. Goes out to his porch, and in another house, he sees an undressed woman, Bathsheba. And David sends his servants to go get her, bring her to a room where he sleeps with her and impregnates her. So, I mean, you've got infidelity. And when you look at the power dynamics there, when the king of your nation summons you to his bedroom, I would call it rape. Did she have a choice? We don't know. But he abused his power. Gets a whole lot worse, too, because she gets pregnant, 
tells him, and he goes, her husband is a man named Uriah, one of my mighty men, one of my top men in my military. So he commands that Uriah gets put on the front line so he can get killed, and he does in battle. Basically murders her husband. That's big. That, that's big. It, I mean, if any of us do those things, we're probably in jail. That's big. I mean, you could imagine the guilt and the shame that, that David felt once God sent a prophet named Nathan to go confront him and say, what you have done, God saw every bit of it. And once David is confronted, you can imagine what he felt before God as the king of Israel, as the one whom God said, man, I have chosen you to lead my people and for him to mess up in that kind of way. And I'm sure it was this moment of my spirit fails me because I know I don't deserve anything that God has given me right now. So three, three circumstances where our, our spirit can fail, when we just feel angry at God for something that he has done, when we are doubting God and he's silent, or we've sinned in a big way and the guilt is unbearable. Can you re- relate with any of these three? I think we all can relate. And so the, the question is this, from Psalm 143 is, when our spirit fails, what do we do? What do we do? And I believe that David gives us two things in verse eight. Two things in verse eight. He says this in verse eight. Let me hear in the morning of your steadfast love, for in you I trust. Make me know the way I should go, for to you I lift up my soul. Two things that David gives us to do. Here's number one. The first thing is this, that we need to start our day with the steadfast love of God. Start your day with the steadfast love of God. We read that in the beginning of verse eight. Let me hear in the morning of your steadfast love, for in you I trust. This word steadfast love is an interesting word in Hebrew. It's one word, hesed. And essentially the translation of that is steadfast love, the loving kindness of God, the gracious, merciful love of God. It's basically a word that describes a kind of love that is gracious, a kind of love that is undeserving, a kind of love that never ends. It doesn't waver, hence why it's translated steadfast love. And so this is something we've been learning in this particular psalm, and David writes about all the time. This idea that God loves us, not on the basis of our righteousness, but on the basis of his righteousness. That God answers our prayers. He does things in our life. He calls us to things. He, he, he relates with us not based off of the up and downs of our weeks or our years, not on the basis of how fickle our minds can be, not on the basis of if we're doubting God or not, not on the basis if we're angry with God or not. It's not based on any of that. It's all based on his steadfast love. And for us, that is purchased for us on the cross of Jesus Christ. 
And we see David wrestling with this throughout Psalm 143 and other Psalms like Psalm 13, wrestling with this reality of, God, I know this in my head, but I feel something different in my chest. All the more reason why David says, every morning I need to hear of the steadfast love of God because I so easily forget it. And it's the same for you and me. Every morning, we start our day ingesting some sort of information. And I'll tell you, it is the enemy's number one strategy in your life is to distract you every single day from the steadfast love of God. That is his number one strategy. He does not want you to be reminded of that any day. Right, so when we wake up in the morning, what, what's the first thing we go to? Right, I mean, do we go to our work email? Is that the first thing we do? Grab the phone, open up the work email, right? Because I find my value in my work. I find my value in being available to people. I find my value in whatever emails are gonna come my way and I'm the answer to those emails, whatever it is. If that's the first thing that we're ingesting in the morning is my value is there, we've been distracted from the steadfast love of God for that day. And our spirits have been set up for failure. Is social media the first thing we go to in the morning? Open up Facebook, open up Instagram. Who do I have to measure up to today? What is culture talking about today that that I somehow need to get a word into? How do I platform myself today? I don't know what it is. What are my friends doing? If that's the first thing we're ingesting, I'm not saying work email and social media is bad, but if that's the first thing we're going to, we've set up our spirits for failure. We've been distracted from the steadfast love of God for the day. Is it the news? What do I need to be upset about today? What do I need to be bothered by today? What do I need to be worried about today? What do I need to be cynical and frustrated about today? Because that's all the news does. We've been set up for failure. David is saying, listen, I need it every day. I need to be reminded of the steadfast love of God. So when this happened with Uzzah, when God strikes him dead and David is angry, what does David do? Well, number one, he follows God's instructions when it comes to the ark, and he transports it properly to Jerusalem. And then he writes Psalm 96 as they're celebrating the ark coming into Jerusalem. And in Psalm 96, David celebrates the steadfast love of God and the salvation for all people. Comes back to that. In Psalm 13, when David's saying, God, where are you? Why have you hidden your face from me? He ends that Psalm in verse five by saying, I will remember the steadfast love of God. When David sins with Bathsheba and he's dealing with the guilt of that, he pens Psalm 51 and he opens Psalm 51 by saying, God, have mercy on me according to your steadfast love of God because his only answer when his spirit fails is to remember the steadfast love of God. And so we must start our day being reminded of who we are in Christ, what 
God has done for us and the reality that he loves us, not on the basis of our righteousness, but on the basis of his righteousness. Because our soul needs to be reminded every day that God is good. And that no matter what we face, he's working things together for our good. No matter the circumstances. Because we will face circumstances where our spirit fails us. And so here's one thing you can do. I actually think this would be life-changing for you. I really do. Especially in the culture and the climate that we're in. It's going to sound simple. It's going to sound simple. But who of us will actually do this? For the next 14 days, next 14 days, start your day with 30 minutes, 30 minutes of meditating on Romans chapter 8, starting in verse 31 through the end of the chapter. I challenge you to do it. First thing you do when you wake up, I will allow you to get a cup of coffee. Get a cup of coffee, put your phone away. Before you turn on any screen that hits your eyes, go meditate on Romans chapter 8, starting in verse 31. Let me just read it where Paul says this about you and about the steadfast love of God. He says this, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died more than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. You need to be reminded every single day that your Savior is actively interceding for you in the present moment. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. I challenge you for the next 14 days, Spend 30 minutes, not two minutes. Not a quick read where it just hits your brain and you never let it sink to your heart. For the next 14 days, spend 30 minutes in Romans 8. And allow your soul to hear about the steadfast love of God in the morning, just like David said. Second thing we can do Second thing we can do when our spirit fails is this. Give up control of your soul. Give up control of your soul. Look at the second half there, verse eight. David says this, make me know the way I should go, for to you I lift up my soul. It's an interesting word, soul, in Hebrew. Uh, it's nefesh. And this word for soul, it, 
a lot of us think of the soul as like this kind of like ghost thing that inhabits our bodies. Um, but in Hebrew, the soul or nefesh, right, is it's, it's like your whole being, your body. Actually, the literal translation of it is your throat. And uh, earlier, uh, David used the word spirit. My spirit fails, right? That's the Hebrew word ruach. And that is literally means wind or breath. And so our souls are what our spirits inhabit. And David says, I lift my soul, my whole being up to you, God. This is actually an expression in Hebrew of saying, God, I am wholly dependent on you. I am counting on you. In other places in scripture, we see this phrase, lift up my soul. Uh, We see it in one spot where it is um, a man who is poor, who is relying on someone to give him food. And he's saying, I lift up my soul to you. I'm counting on you, depending on you to provide for me. All right, that's what it means when we lift up our soul to God. We're saying, I am wholly dependent on you. And David saying to God, God, I need you to tell me what to do because I am wholly dependent on you. You know, when our, when our spirit fails, when we hit these situations and we don't know what to do, we try so hard to resolve it in our own strength. We try so hard to figure out the answers in our own strength. And, and David has gotten to the point where he's like, man, I'm at the end of my rope I've got no answers. I've got no strength. I'm wholly dependent on you, God, for you to tell me where I should go. And God loves it when we are in that place. That's exactly where God wants us to be, where we've, we've exhausted all of our earthly options, running around, trying to figure it out, and we finally look up to God and lift our souls to him and say, God, you, you, I, I can't do it. I need you. I feel like God reminded me of this this past week. You know, as, as many of you know, we communicated this to our members, but you know, through, through COVID, God has been so kind to us. He's provided for us. Um, it, one of the more sad things about COVID is, and I have many pastor friends where their churches did not survive uh, the pandemic. And um, God has been kind to sustain us, but it has had a big financial impact on our church as we come out of covid and I remember being in a couple of meetings last weekend and talking to our treasurer and, you know, looking at the budget. And as I told you in our announcements, this is budget month for us. We got to bring a new budget to the members. And just looking at the numbers and going, man, ah, it's not looking great. You know, man, we might have to make some hard decisions at a church. Not that we're going to go away, but just we got we to gotta make these numbers work somehow in some way. And so we were talking and we were thinking of different ideas and we just kind of ended that time and we said, you know what, let's just commit this to prayer. Let's commit this to prayer. Ask God, God, what should we do? And then on Monday in the afternoon, I had this unexpected meeting. Someone not from our church comes and I meet with him and We're just chatting about a bunch of random stuff. And at the end of that meeting, he hands me a check made out to Grace Hill Church. I won't tell you the amount, but it had a whole lot of zeros on it. And it was this reminder to me from God, because this is totally unexpected, this reminder to me from God of just saying, hey, I like it when you're in this place where you say, we just gotta go to God and ask him what to do. 
Now listen, I, I hesitate telling that story because what I don't want to communicate is that's what happens when we do that, right? We go to God and say, God, what do I do? And, and then the check comes the next day, right? That, that's actually a pretty rare occurrence, but he does that to encourage us uh, every once in a while. But God wants us to be in this place where our heart has been conditioned. It's gotten a whole lot of practice when we come to these hard places in life to go, I need to lift my soul to God. I need to give up control of my soul and ask God, God, what do I do? I don't have the strength. I need you to act. I need you to tell me what to do. And many times I believe God allows us to go through these circumstances where our spirit fails just so that we'll get, we'll build that muscle up, that muscle of lifting our soul up to God a little bit stronger. Because that's exactly where he wants his people, wholly dependent on him. And so here, here's how I wanna end our time together. I'm gonna invite uh, the band to come forward. Nick, if you would come forward as well. Um, on your chairs when you came in, and if you don't have one, look around. There's uh, a bunch of extras on the chairs. Uh, we provided a prayer for you. This is a prayer slash exhortation. And what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna have Nick and myself, we're just gonna read this aloud. And what I want you to do is grab this paper and I want you to read it silently along with us. And I hope that this prayer, this exhortation, that you can take it with you, it's probably printed it out, that you could take it with you, stick it in your Bible. And, and maybe when you're doing your 14 days of meditating on Romans 8, this is also something that you can read and pray as a reminder to you to lift up your soul to God and to know that what he is doing inside of you is something that you can trust. So grab your, grab your piece of paper. Nick's gonna get us started here. We're gonna read this aloud and then we will close our time in worship. It says this. I come to you, O Christ, in dismay, fearing I might fail in what is now before me. Ah, uh, Christian, if you would truly serve your maker in whatever capacity or vocation, is it not necessary for your own good and for the good of the kingdom of God that you would sometimes be met with such fear and dismay? But how could such a besetting fear ever be for my good? or for the good of God's eternal kingdom. Under the Spirit's tutelage, such fears might become messengers of grace, revealing to you only what was true all along. In yourself, you do not have the strength or the wisdom or the ability to accomplish the task to which you are called. Apart from the Spirit of God breathing life into your incomplete and sin-tainted efforts uh, apart from the Father blessing and multiplying your inadequate offerings, apart from your Lord meeting you in your stumbling attempts at faithfulness, no good work will come to fruition. No achievement will endure. No lasting benefit will come of your labors. And so you must come repeatedly to the end of trust in your own strength, child that you might avail yourself again and again of his strength. 
and let my fears of failure drive me, O Lord, to collapse here upon your strong shoulders and here to rest, reminded again that I and all of your children are always utterly dependent upon you to bring to completion in and through us the good works which you have prepared beforehand for us to do. It is not my own work that is before me now, but yours. Indeed, Christian, take heart in this revelation. The outcome of your labors were never in your hands, but in God's. You have but one task, to be faithful. The success of your endeavors is not yours to judge. He works in ways that you cannot comprehend. And in his economy, there will be no waste. Even what you judge as failure, God will tool to greater purpose. If this is true, what greater end could he intend to work from my failings? Who can discern? But consider now, might your tender father use even your failures and weaknesses to make you more humble and more sympathetic to the failures and failings of others? thereby shaping your heart into a nearer likeness of the heart of Christ. If your greatest good is to bear in fuller measure the image of your Lord, then might not his greatest and most holy good to you come cloaked in the guise of defeat and dismay? And if that is your Lord's sacred intention, then who is to say how great a success even your failures might be? when read or write at last in the chronicles of eternity. So relinquish now all vain attempts to parse the mysteries of God's intent. You cannot think his thoughts. You cannot reckon his deep purposes. It is enough to know that all he does is done in love for you. Amen. Use then, O Lord, even my failures and my fears of failing to advance your purposes in my heart and in your kingdom and in this world. My confidence is only in you. Amen.